Rachel Amaday. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. I've got a lot of exciting things coming up in the next month and some guests that I cannot wait to share with you all. It's finally happening. I've been talking about this forever. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. So um, stay tuned. That's going to hopefully start this week. I've got a couple of guests lined up over the next coming weeks and then the same for June. So it's going to be fantastic. I am really... I've just been pouring over the concept that I am bringing to you all today. And um, I've also been praying about maybe a book of the Bible that God would want me to take you all through and, and for my own study, for my own self. So probably some of the upcoming series after we get through our health series will be centered around just a long piece of scripture. And I'm looking forward to doing that as well. But this particular topic has been on my mind and my heart. And I think it's because it seems like God is calling his people right now to, uh, and I think the right term really is to circumcise our hearts right now to prepare for what he is going to be doing with us and what he wants to do. You know, we have this concept of in scripture of this second exodus, this idea that, you know, there's going to be a group of people after Christ that are going to come out of Egypt, come out of their trials and tribulations, and they're going to leave Egypt behind. And after they do that, in order to enter the promised land, and we're going to go over Joshua 5 here, after they enter the promised land, um, they or before they enter the promised land, they have to circumcise themselves. This has to happen a second time before they enter because there was an entire generation. You know, they wandered the desert for 40 years. We'll talk about this story, but there was an entire generation that uh, had not been circumcised. And so before they enter the land and before they take down Jericho, they have to be circumcised. And I'm just really interested in this concept of God using our trials and our challenges as our training ground, as an opportunity for us to become. It's changed my perspective on so much. Just to begin to think about it from that angle, I am now starting to understand that my trials and my challenges are opportunities instead of hardships. Yes, they're hard. It's not like they get easier. However, with that mindset shift, they absolutely become more, um, I guess through the Holy Spirit, more handleable. And I've never really seen the challenges of my life this way. In fact, a lot of times, some of our traumas, some of the really hard things that have taken place, I don't know if you've had real trauma in your life, I have. Some of those traumas can be so overwhelming and can begin to shade and filter how we see the world, how we approach the world, um, and change our frequencies. And and I do, listen, I talk about frequencies not from the mushy, ushy, you know, uh, new agey perspective. No, I, I totally reject that. I talk about frequencies from a scientific perspective, and we're going to get into that a little bit today as well. But there's real science behind how your mind is operating, what you're putting out into the world with your mind, and what you are surrounded with. This is also biblical. 
Remember, the Bible says that the power of the tongue, right? There's life and death in it uh, to guard your heart because from it, you create your life. This is in Proverbs. So you, your mind and what you spend time on really matters and how you perceive things really matters. And I think God is trying to change our perception of trials and hardships and to see the earth and what we do on this earth as a training ground. Let's go to one of our main texts for today, and I'm going to read it out loud to you. If you want to grab your Bible, I think that's a great idea. Um, and actually, you know, as let's take a minute. As you grab your Bible, I'd love for you to take a moment and maybe consider what challenges are in your life right now. What are areas where you think God is trying to maybe teach you something, but you're avoiding the lesson because of how painful it is? Maybe take a minute and let God bring that to mind. All right. So hopefully you've grabbed your Bible and hopefully God has brought something to mind that has been challenging for you or that has caused you a lot of pain or suffering. Um, and, and by the way, I just want to state for the record here, I've experienced pain and suffering brought on by other human beings in my life. Um, hardships that were absolutely re the result of the evils that other people were dealing with and not handling well. And so I understand that in this process, you might need God to help you forgive and you might need extra healing because that stuff can be, that stuff can cause deep wounds. There's no doubt in my mind. There are people walking around all over the place who are deeply wounded by unbelievable suffering. And I know it sounds trite to say, that God can work those things together for your good. It sounds ridiculous, in fact. It sounds wrong in some ways. But then, if he couldn't work those together for your benefit and your good, where would your hope be? These would be useless evils, evils that had no redemption attached to them. I think the good news is that God can take your trauma and he can use it for your benefit as weird as that sounds. Now, this absolutely does not mean that we seek out evil or trauma. In fact, the opposite. When you come to the Lord, you should be seeking his goodness because God hates what evil does to us. He hates that it can derail us. But he is more powerful than any evil you have encountered. That is a message that we need to embrace and we need to allow it in. I think sometimes we hang on to our traumas because we want to use them as an excuse for our feelings and as an excuse for our behaviors. This is unbelievably detrimental to our ministry. And this is why I'm doing this podcast, because my life is starting to shift as I'm shifting my view and perspective on my pain and my suffering and my challenges and my traumas. God is using those things in a really unique and magnificent way. And I want to share that with you all. So let's go to Joshua 5. 
Okay, let's talk about where they are here. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gilbeath Haaraloth. Um, there's no way I pronounced that correctly. Okay, let's keep going. Now, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on their way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now, When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And so they go on, we're at Jericho here, they go on to defeat Jericho with shouts of praise and marching around the city seven times. Okay, they go in and they, in the land, they defeat their first, they they, they overcome They have their first challenge and they're successful after they have been circumcised. This chapter is rich with teachings that the number of things I could talk about in this chapter is long. Okay, but I was listening to uh, someone speak about this story and um, there's just a lot to note. One of the notes is this, you know, covenant to be in covenant, covenant actually means cutting in scripture. It's, it's, it's got the same, um, kind of root and the same meaning as the word for cutting and cutting a deal, right? That's where we get this phrase. And so covenant always has blood related to it. So the Abrahamic covenant, you know, God slaughtered an animal and put the two P two two sides of the animal on two sides and he moved in between them to uh confirm the covenant with Abraham all right so we have blood in fact in ancient um the ancient near east societies 
uh, in the doorsteps of their homes, sometimes they would have these bowls. And the bowls were for the blood of an animal to confirm a covenant with maybe another family or another person in their community. There was always blood involved. And so this covenant, they, they're going to enter the land, but God's like, you've got to be circumcised before I can give you victory. This is what we're seeing take place here at Gilgal in Joshua 5. Um, so, and, and a second cutting needed to take place. So the first generation did not abide in the covenant that God had made with them and they received a grave punishment. They didn't get to enter the land, but this second generation is abiding in the covenant and does receive, they receive the cutting, they receive the covenant, they receive what God has wanted to give them, and they enter the land after having been circumcised, and then they find this victory. Okay, that first group brought back a bad report from the land, and we're going to talk about all of this a little bit more, but It's just interesting that all of this has to happen a second time. Even we see at the beginning of chapter five, we're reminded that there was a second crossing of a great river, a second baptism, basically, of this group of people. They were baptized when they first went through the Reed Sea out of Exodus, but then that generation failed. This generation is baptized again. They go across the Jordan on dry land, and the story goes out to all the nations, and it scares everybody, but they have a second bat they they all they have to redo everything it all has to be done again the baptism and the sanctification and all of these things have to be done and what's interesting is the 40 years were the training ground right they brought back a bad report on the land Um, Those first spies, the 10 spies brought back a bad report and convinced the people to speak against God's land. But what they were also doing is showing that they did not trust in the greatness of their God, despite seeing him rescue them up until that point in miraculous ways. They were still more afraid of the giants in the land than they were of the God that they served. And because of this, they did not earn the right to enter the promised land. They spoke against their God. Their training ground had not done them any good. They still had Egypt in them. They had not had a circumcision of their hearts. They might have been kind of doing what they were supposed to do, but they really weren't in alignment with God. And because of their words, by the way, life and death and the power of the tongue, because of the negative words of the spies and the negative words of the people, They lost the right to enter the promised land. They had to go back to the training ground. They get trained again. This time, the second time, they do it right. We are going to have this, or we may already be in a second exodus. Another exodus, a prophetic exodus where God says, my people come out of Babylon. Have we allowed ourselves to be trained properly and to be circumcised in order to be the overcomers that we want to be? Okay, if you want, if you have something that you are struggling with, if you're being challenged, if you're on the training ground right now, I want you to hear this. We're going to talk about what circumcision really means for us now. But I love this verse nine. Then the Lord said to Joshua after they'd been circumcised, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. That reproach of your past sin, once your heart is circumcised, God rolls it away. Like he rolled away the stone on his grave and brought new life. 
to all people. He rolls away the reproach of your sin and brings you new life when your heart has been circumcised. How beautiful. This story is so applicable to anyone who feels like they are on a battleground being challenged. Now, I want to go to um, Hebrews 12 to kind of confirm this in the New Testament and some of these concepts. So let me look this up here, make sure that I get to the right spot here. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Okay, so we're seeing here in Hebrews 12, this regurgitation of this concept that we see in Joshua 5. Listen, God had to discipline the nation of Israel after they lost faith in him. Their hearts were not circumcised. Um, God is going to discipline you when you have lost faith in him because you're his kid. He's going to allow trial and challenge to come in and to train you and to mold you and to grow you. And by the way, you know, we, we talk about the Exodus, that they came out of Egypt. That part, that salvation part, that was the beginning. When you got saved, that was just the beginning, right? Now you have the rest of your life as a training ground to make you into the likeness of Yeshua, your Messiah. But oftentimes we perceive this making, and listen, you know, for those of you, especially for those of you who endured awful things as children and you didn't deserve it, but I want to just tell you right now, Jesus said anyone who harms these little ones, they might as well throw themselves off of a cliff with a stone into the ocean. They might as well kill themselves. God despises when children are abused and misused. He hates that. And I know many people have experienced that, that in your innocence, you were wrongly harmed. Here's the hope for you. Here's the hope for you. 
God is still going to mold you with that pain and that suffering and that hardship. He's going to allow that to mold you. Think about all the people who've been through horrors that were not earned, that were able to use that to become sympathizers, empathizers, great teachers, lovers of God and lovers of others. Oftentimes those people exhibit more forgiveness and mercy than your average person because they've had to forgive more and be merciful with more. God can use whatever you've been through and whatever mistakes you've made because he is that powerful. If you do not believe he has the power to overcome your giants, then take note from Joshua 5. Your heart needs to be circumcised. To overcome those giants, you must have faith. You must believe. And we're going to get into kind of my list of things today, at least, um, that will refresh our view of challenge and trial, hopefully, and change our perspective, change our worldview so that instead of avoiding it and having to go through it time and again, and instead of failing in it, because a lot of times we get these trials and these challenges and we go back to old Egypt for solutions. We go back to addictions. We go back to bad habits. We go back to bad behaviors. We go back to losing self-control. We just go backwards time and again. And then we wonder why that challenge keeps popping up. I'll tell you, if you have a challenge here that you have not dealt with, it will follow you wherever you go. God is not interested in your happiness nearly as much as he is interested in your goodness. And if you've got a giant plank in your eye, it means you're blind. According to scripture, you've got to take that plank out of your eye before you can help anybody else. And believe me, God wants you to be a helper. He wants you to be good for the planet. Boy, have I been hearing this message to my own self lately. And God's been cleaning out all the places where I haven't put my full faith and trust in him. And it has been painful. I feel like I've been in the process of crushing for way over a decade now. Most of my adult life seems like a process of crushing. (laughs) And for a lot of it, I've run from it. I've been angry about it. I've been bitter about it. I've complained about it. And now I'm finally in a place where God's like, are you ready to change your perspective of the training ground I have put in your path? And at least today, my answer is I'm ready. I want to be an overcomer, not a complainer. So let's go through some ways that we can refresh our views of these challenges and what's been helping me lately No matter what challenge you're having, I hope that these will also be a help to you. Number one, what if you viewed this entire life, this existence that you have as a test? Now, I listen, I I grew up with the opposite of this view being taught in church. I know this is something you have not been taught in church. I know it. In fact, you've been told the opposite. You've been told God doesn't test people. But I have to say, what do you do with the story of Job if you believe that? Consider this. Listen, Job, remember, Satan goes to the, the, the room with God. He's in the holy place with the Lord. And God says, hey, Satan, what have you been up to, basically? And he's like, you know, I've been roaming the earth. And he says, have you seen my servant Job? Isn't he amazing? And Satan goes, yeah, he's amazing because you give him everything he wants. 
You put a hedge around him. He's constantly blessed. He's not going to think that way about you if you test him. Mm. If that could happen to Job, who was a very righteous man, and God allowed a sifting and a testing of Job, if that could happen to Job, do you really think that wouldn't happen to you? Or that God wouldn't purposefully allow you to encounter challenges in order to make you stronger? Have you ever had to become stronger for a sport or a physical activity? Do you always love the training that you get in order to acquire that strength? No. A lot of times we want to be done with the training. We want to give up. But you need difficult training in order to build muscle. You need difficult training in order to build spiritual muscle. This principle is everywhere. So call it what you will. You can call it a test or you can call it training. Either way, the hope is that you gain the muscle, right? Which takes serious self-discipline and effort. And I want you to also consider this. Your position in the kingdom is dependent on your behavior here. Consider Yeshua's teaching that anyone who does and teaches the laws of God, who does does and teaches, will be greatest in his kingdom, while anyone that does not teach to obey the laws of God will be least. So what you do on this earth earns you a position in the kingdom. How is that not a testing? Seriously, how is that not a testing? Are you willing to do the commands of God and teach them even in the face of our current culture? Oof, that is a rough question. That's a rough question, isn't it? Because it's getting harder. Now consider we just read Hebrews where it said you haven't been tested to the point of losing blood yet. Okay, most of us haven't been tested to the point of lose, like being harmed physically yet, although there are many around the world that have. But here, you know, in the West, uh, are we willing really to do what Jesus says in order to gain that position in the kingdom, in order to gain those um, muscles? Okay. The truth is, instead of seeing your challenges as a hardship, what if you saw them as a heavenly opportunity? through a material experience. You have a heavenly opportunity to submit your body and your will and your stomach and your mind to God as a part of a heavenly opportunity. This is really different. It's a different way to look at whatever you're facing. Let's go to Second Chronicles 16.9. It says this, For the eyes of Yehovah run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Oh, I'm hanging on to that verse right now, by the way. If that's true, praise be to Yahweh. Because I want to align my heart with him. And as I do that, I want him to notice me. As his eyes scan the earth, I want him to say in his heavenly court, have you seen my servant, Rachel? Have you seen how she loves me? That's the testimony I would like to have in heaven. I have a feeling so far in my life, I don't have that testimony yet, but I'm still alive. I still have breath. So guess what? There's still that opportunity and it's right in front of me. This is hard. What, you know, I got to ask, are you struggling in relationships? Are you struggling in, in a relationship with yourself, with your body, with what you see in the mirror? Are you struggling in a marriage? Are you struggling with your relationships with your coworkers? Are you struggling with your relationships with people in church? What are you struggling with? 
What if you laid that down before the Lord and you humbled yourself? Do you know that as you align your heart with God, as he scans the earth, you become more noticeable? He's looking for you. Such a perspective shift. God is not allowing trial in your life just as a punishment. He may be correcting you, but think about this. These trials are there to design you. They are for your benefit and your sanctification. Can you imagine the lack of character of God's people if they had never been sifted? Again, we go to Job. Satan said Job loved God because he'd been given everything he could have wanted. It's an interesting claim. But what would Job do, right, when everything was taken from him? From him, What will you do if you're never given what you want? What will you do? You will truly then be able to see where your allegiance lies. Don't be fooled. God is allowing this in your life. He's allowing it because he's big enough to use it. So I think we have to continue to ask, who do we want to be? Who am I? If I'm a follower of Yeshua, then the cross is a part of my existence. Would you like to see victory in your trials? Then stop rejecting the correction. Let's go to Proverbs ten seventeen. It says this, accept correction and you will find life. Reject correction and you will miss the road. Are you being challenged? Accept it, embrace it, lean into it. Okay, and we're going to learn then how to become an overcomer in it. So my first point here was was to um, to start to see your challenge differently. See it as a test. See it as an opportunity. See it as a way to pass something. Okay. Let's go to my second con- uh, my second concept around being an overcomer and really embracing the challenges and trials that you have with a godly perspective that's going to help you get through them. And that is this concept of circumcision. Let's go back to it. Circumcision requires humility. In Hebrews 5, 7 through 10, it says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus himself learned obedience through suffering. This is what Hebrews tells us. Circumcision is painful. It's hard. But through that suffering, if you can learn how to lay yourself down and be obedient, if you can cut off Egypt from your life, the sin from your life, you're going to find a different view of everything, of this world, of, of the future. You know, I was just uh, reading a book with my son, and in it um, there was uh, Psalms. And, and the man in the book was talking about, you know, why do the wicked prosper? The wicked seem to have all the wealth and they seem to do well and they push and harm those who have good character and those who are believers. And, you know, there are believers all over the world who have to meet in secret, who are under threat of the government, who are not, you know, successful according to our American ideology, right? And yet in the Psalms, it tells us, in the Bible, it tells us that the wicked who prosper are on the road to destruction, and they don't even know it. 
and that the oppressed, God will lift them up. We're reminded there is an afterlife where all these things get dealt with. So whatever challenge or hardship you are facing, part of this process is for you to become circumcised, to become obedient. To be an overcomer and enter the promised land, this is a requirement. The Old and New Testament concept, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. The concept of circumcision in the heart is from the Old Testament. God always wanted your heart. We're going to get into that a little bit more. How about Jeremiah 4.4? It says this, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart, men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. You've got to be willing to cut off the sin of your past. And this is not salvation. God already saved you. He did that work on the cross. It's not a work that you could do. But, but, you know, show me your faith by your words, right? And I'll show you my faith by what I do. That is a concept in the Bible. Do you truly believe in the living God? Then you must be willing to cut yourself off from Egypt. You must be willing to take up your cross and follow. Colossians 2, 11 through 12 says this, And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. In Christ, you are circumcised in the heart. This means that the most important, I believe, of the um, fruits of the Spirit, self-control, has to become a part of your life. You have to allow it in. You can't lose your self-control when things are hard. This is the moment, actually, when things are hard, when you have to have control over everything, your mind, your thoughts, your actions, your behaviors. That's the moment, right? That's part of the training ground. Things are hard. What are you going to do? Are you going to run to your addiction? Are you going to speak negatively about what God wants to do in your life? Are you going to have a bad report about what God is capable of? What is your choice in that moment? In that moment, that's when you ask the Holy Spirit to get control over your mind, your words, and your actions. And I'll tell you, this is this circumcision piece, um, one of the great tools of allowing that circumcision to take place is to act righteously even in the face of unrighteousness and to pull out your Bible and to use it. When you feel like having unrighteous behavior in response to your training ground, you get out your Bible and you start reading. It is a powerful, powerful weapon. And if you don't have your Bible right in front of you, you can recall a worship song and start singing. These are tools for your training ground that help you engage with those spiritual muscles of self-control and force your mind to be distracted by the power and the might of our living God. These are tools I am starting to use more and more and more. Yes, I'm a worship leader. I use that singing tool uh, often, but I am starting to pull it out even more intentionally um, as I face my own training ground here. 
This brings up kind of this really interesting and important point I talk about in my book quite a bit. You have to die to self in order to live in Christ. You must die to your flesh in order to triumph in your trials. If you serve the flesh, your trials will be overwhelming. They just will be because you can't do this without the power of God. But if you serve the living God, your fleshly trials will become small in his presence. And that's because you are constantly in his presence. You will be reminded of how great he is, and you will not have a bad report like the 10 spies did. There is a relationship requirement in order for this to uh, be functional. In order to have any chance of triumphing in this area, we need relationship with God. We've got to know him, spend time with him, and love him. And this leads me to my last point. You must do this through faith. You cannot do this on your own power. This training ground is hard. The spiritual realm is old, and it is very, very smart. And there is an enemy who desires to keep you from the power of the living God and the power of the ministry God wants to have in your life. And you will encounter Babylon. And Babylon will be very enticing. Not only that, but you, if you rely only on your own mind, you are smart enough and intellectual enough to convince yourself of anything. You will convince yourself that a wrong decision is a right one. You will convince yourself that you need that addiction that has been your crutch your whole life. And you will find yourself telling yourself, giving yourself all sorts of bad advice. This is just human nature. You cannot rely upon your own strength to do this. When you encounter your training ground, this must be done holding the hand of Yeshua, your Messiah. You've got to grab his hand. You have to let him guide you through this. What we learn from the story of Joshua and so many others in scripture, all that is done must be done by faith. God does not desire your rote works. He doesn't desire your obedience without the heart, right? Because that's just, that's just bondage to the law. Nor does he desire only heart, only your, your, your feelings, your emotions, and your words towards him without the truth. God desires to be worshipped in spirit and in truth, according to scripture. So you have to have all of this. You have to understand how God is asking you to be obedient. And you have to do it from your heart. With him seated on the throne. You must walk with the Lord in complete trust in him. Jeremiah 31, the prophecy of the new covenant, right? It says that God's going to write his laws on your heart. It means it has to be from that seat, that place where your mind and your emotions combine. It's got to be from there. It can't be outward. It can't be just, I'm just doing this because I have to, and you're gritting your teeth as you're doing it. No, you have to submit all to the Lord. Rest in him and face your challenges with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is done again. Sing to the Lord. Bring praise to him even when things are hard. Open up your Bible. Let him speak to you. Before you make a decision and before you respond to challenge, go to him in prayer. Submit every, if you have to, and there have been days where I've had to do this. Every next step I took, I had to go to God and say, is this what I'm supposed to do? How do I do this? Lord, I commit my way to you here. I need your help with this. If you have, if every single action you take during the day, you do that, you will find yourself sinning less, number one, but also you will find the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, number two. It has to be done through faith with a full heart. 
using mercy and justice and wisdom and love and humility, then you are able to withstand your trials and your training ground. You've got to have the Spirit of God help you do this. There's not, by the way, there's no room for your ego in this. There's no room for you to go in and think that you're the Savior, that you're, the, you're right, that you've, you've figured everything out in life, that you're 100% the winner, that you're now you're, you're the strongest. There's no room for that. There's no room for that. By the way, you aren't, not in the human realm and not in the spiritual realm. You just aren't. There's no way you are. We know that, right? We're all well aware. We're probably not that high on the totem pole. And if we understood the spiritual realm, we would understand that the demons, the fallen angels, Satan specifically, he was the most beautiful angel there was. He is gorgeous. He's powerful. He's very smart. He's very tricky. He was able to deceive Adam and Eve, and they were perfect. Let's, I mean, we've got to understand the forces that we're dealing with and the Babylonian empire that was set up by the adversary. It is very tricky. It is a great challenge. You have to have the Spirit of God, and it has to be done by faith. Now let's quickly talk about frequency. All right, um, there is frequency in the Word of God. There's a frequency to the Bible. There's frequency in your prayers. There's frequency in acts of obedience. There's frequency in generosity. There's frequency to forgiveness. By a frequency, I mean there are energy patterns that get put into your body and your mind and get put out into the world when you engage with these behaviors that are good, they're good energy patterns. They will shift your mind, your body, your thinking. People, there, there have been studies on this. People who are unforgiving have major health declines, major health problems show up. The more unforgiveness and bitterness you hold in the, your heart, it is not just bad for your soul. It becomes bad for your flesh. It makes it harder for you to be obedient to the Lord. Okay, so we know that these things have power. They have power in your life. We're finding this is a scientific stuff, guys. This is not hokey pokey, you know, magic. This is real. This is physics. This exists. We're finding scientific evidence of frequency shifts with even certain words and behaviors and activities. The Bible says there's power in the name. There's power in the name? What does that mean? It means in other dimensions, the name of God emits unbelievable power. It does in this dimension as well. We just don't notice it. But if you noticed it over time, if you looked at it over time, I believe you would notice a difference. Is it any wonder that the Bible's advice aligns with scientific understanding we're finding now? Of course not, because God's smarter than we are. He, he, he's the one who made all of this. He's the one who made these frequencies, right? This list, using the word of God, using prayer, acting in obedience, being generous and forgiving, this is an amazing way to start to be in God's presence, which we just said you need in order to be an overcoming overcomer on your training ground. You must be walking with God. You've got to be in his presence. This is not about knowledge of God, okay? This is about being with God. And I think this is where a real journey of triumphing over trials begins. When I talk about obedience and how to be obedient, we need to be reminded God is not arbitrary. Okay, His laws are not random. So those acts of obedience have frequency. 
They have purpose in both the world we see and in the realm we don't see. And at those frequency levels, the laws of God keep us from bad frequency behaviors and elevate our good frequencies so that we can have higher life-giving behaviors and we can have a better mindset and a better view. When you are living, let me, let me tell you this, when you are like walking with God and in prayer and in gratitude towards him, and then somebody cuts you off in traffic, you will find you are far less likely to be upset about it. You just can't be. You're in a different energy pattern. You're with God. So that person that's not with God and not having a great time and is acting uh, selfishly, they don't bother you. Your training ground, guess what happens on your training ground? You become strong. You're living from a different place of strength. Do you see how changing your view, walking with God, that trial is still there. You just dealt with it differently because you were in the strength of the Spirit of God. When your addiction comes back to get you, to kind of pull you back in, when it stares you in the face today, I want you to see this as, this is my workout opportunity. Let's work this out. All right, God, I'm going to open up my Bible. Guide me to a good verse for this. All right, God, I need a moment with you. Guide me in your presence. God, I need you to hold my hand right now. Will you look at this addiction with me? Can you look it in the face for me? This is a giant to me, but you are bigger. I know if I have you by my side, I'm going to see that. When that addiction comes to bother you, say, you know what I'm going to do right now? You know what I was thinking? There's a person in my life who's greatly in need. I'm going to reach out to them right now instead. I'm going to distract my mind. I'm on a training ground here. I'm going to get control over my thoughts. You need heavenly help to face this. But look, when you've got God by your side, his massive power and might just dwarfs everything else. And if you see this differently, shift your view. Shift your view of your challenges. Your challenge, that next moment that's a challenge for you is also an opportunity for you. Then, instead of being frustrated, you can welcome it. And by the way, when you welcome, when the challenge comes in and you're like, hey there, I know what you are. I'm going to go to the Lord with this. You know what also happens? I've noticed all of a sudden, a lot more solutions become available to your mind. A lot, you get a lot more ideas on how to solve the problem and you get motivated on enacting those ideas to solve the problem. It really shifts instead of feeling like a victim to this giant, you know, that is keeping you out of the land. You feel like God has given you options to overcome the giant in the land. It really changes things. And this is scriptural, guys. I hope you've seen it in, in the scriptures I've shared. If you go to scripture today, you're going to find more examples of this. You're going to find more times where God's like, I've got to let you be challenged and sifted because you are weak and you are going to destroy yourself or others. Most importantly, you will destroy my testimony if you remain in this weakness. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to become strong. Let's change our view. 
Again, I'm not saying you don't go out and you look for trouble. Listen, this life is filled with enough trouble as it is, isn't it? But instead, it is walking with the Lord no matter what comes. Okay? So we're going to engage with our trials differently so that we can turn our trials into a training ground and we can triumph. All right. That's my message for today. I hope it has blessed you. It is certainly changing my view of my life and the things that come up that are difficult for me. And um, God keeps, he keeps hitting me over the head with this concept. So I know I was supposed to share it with you and I know I'm going to be using it in my life in the coming weeks. Many blessings to you. I will be back later this week with a wonderful guest.